Good morning, everyone. Good morning. <clears throat> thank you, choir, for that, uh, that lovely rendition. And thank you, Jason and Joan, for that beautiful, dramatic reading of our psalm, Psalm 130, the one that we're going to be considering this morning. It's a pleasure for me to be with you in the context of this series on the Psalms of Ascents. These psalms, which are widely considered to be psalms that were sung by pilgrims as they journeyed to Jerusalem for worship. Sometimes this would have occurred at various points during the calendar year for individual reasons, as people wanted to go to the temple at Jerusalem to offer special prayer requests or to come and offer thanksgiving sacrifices when those prayer requests had been answered. At other times, this would have been in the context of some of Israel's great festivals, which punctuated the calendar, the annual cycle. We read in Exodus 23, verses 14 through 16, that three times per year, Israel was called to gather before the Lord together. And that journey to Jerusalem could have been a wonderful one, filled with beautiful vistas, green valleys, lovely horizons, beautiful sights. But at times it could also be a hard one, journeying over rough passes, dangers on the road, physical exertion, heat, separation from home and comforts and loved ones. There's another kind of journey, too, that we're on, that the people of faith in the Old Testament were on, and that we as people of faith in the New Testament are on, and that is the journey of walking through life with God. And that journey, too, has its lovely, beautiful, happy points, times of peace and joy and fellowship and rejoicing, but also its difficult Points, times of loneliness, disappointment, depression, failure, frustration. Our theme this morning is finding hope in the darkest of days. And our psalmist is speaking out of great need. He cries to God out of the depths. And in the Psalms, the depths are the place of need, the place of distress, the place of threat, the place of despair. And he brings his supplications to God. And that word implies pleading for help. We have all known or will know dark days on our own personal journeys when life seems to be impossible and things turn against us. Sometimes these are not our own fault. Psalm 73, for example, or the book of Job, describe situations of suffering where faithful people find themselves overwhelmed by distress and life seems to have gone horribly wrong. Sometimes circumstances turn against us. Psalm 73 describes this. Sometimes people, our former friends, who we have trusted and done good for to turn against us and betray us. Psalm 35 <clears throat> describes that. Actually, in the Old Testament, there are two contrasting types of crying out to God 
in suffering. There are the so-called psalms of lament, which are expressions of suffering individuals or communities who, while not sinless, have walked in faithfulness to God and yet are still in pain. They cry, how long, O Lord, will you forsake me forever? And as you can see, there are a lot of psalms of lament in the hymn book of Israel, in the Psalter. Life could be very hard. Life could be painful and difficult. But in other circumstances, the people of God fail God, and it is our own fault that we are suffering. We have made bad choices. We have failed the Lord. And in such circumstances, it can seem as if there is no way out. And this, perhaps, is a more hopeless kind of pain, because when we look at the situation, we can't blame circumstances, or we can't blame other people. We only have ourselves to blame. And this is the background of Psalm 130. In contrast to the Psalms of Lament, we have this second pattern in the Old Testament. Uh, this is sometimes called penitential prayer. Once I had a student doing a paper on this theme, and I think their autofill kicked in, and they wrote a paper on penitentiary prayer. <laughs> it may take place in a penitentiary, but... Uh, it's penitential prayer, that is, prayer of penitence or repentance. And there's a big difference between penitential prayer and uh, prayers of lament. Uh, penitential prayer occurs especially in Ezra 9, Nehemiah 9, and Daniel 9. If the essence of lament is, Lord, I have been faithful, I am suffering, please come and help me. The essence of penitential prayer is this, expressed in Ezra chapter 9, verse 13. Lord, we have failed you, and you have punished us less than our iniquities deserve. No lamenting, no complaining, simply acknowledging one's sinfulness and declaring God to be righteous and God's judgment to be righteous. Our psalm today speaks out of that perspective, speaks from the perspective of people who have sinned and are suffering and are looking for better days and who are wondering, has all been lost? The Old Testament is very clear on the fact that nobody's perfect. We find in Solomon's prayer, if they, that is your people, sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin. So all of us, sometime or other, to a greater or lesser degree, are going to find ourselves in the situation of this psalmist and of Israel. The question is, what is the way forward? How do we move from the dark days, where we fail and suffer for it, to better days? We may be here today. And that has been our experience in the past, or that's even our experience today. I think the psalmist gives us three key guidelines, three key points, three ways in which we can move from despair and darkness and get back on our way and get back on track. For the psalmist, finding hope 
in the darkest of days means three things. Number one, it means understanding the truly gracious character of the Lord. Understanding the truly gracious character of the Lord. Look at verses three and four. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be revered. Or verses 7 and 8, Hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. With him is great power. It is he who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. Sometimes people very wrongly assume there's no forgiveness or very little forgiveness in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, though, the verb to forgive occurs in many places, but there's a very interesting word for forgiveness that only occurs here and two other places in the Old Testament. It's that noun in verse 3, uh, or rather in verse 4, there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. And it comes up again in Daniel 9.9, and Nehemiah 9.17, those penitential prayer passages that we were talking about earlier on, they come in the context of the time after the exile, after the northern kingdom and then the southern kingdom were judged through invasion and defeat and exile, and the people came back and began to recommit themselves to God and stressed the reality in their prayers of seeking God's Forgiveness. This word speaks of serious relationship breaking kind of sin and God's willingness to offer forgiveness even in that kind of situation. And the psalmist says, There is forgiveness with you, that forgiveness is close to the heart of God. Verse 3 is somewhat enigmatic. It says, if you marked iniquities, and the, the image is that of somebody uh, surveying and taking notice of a situation. If you look all around campus, there are security cameras. Once you start to become aware of them, you see them all over campus, you see them in parking lots, you see them in shopping malls, you see them everywhere. And the psalmist seems to imply that God doesn't see sin. But clearly, the Bible, in many places, in many ways, says nothing is hidden from God's sight, that we are held accountable before God, and that God does indeed see and remember sin. That's why forgiveness is needed. So what's the psalmist saying? Psalmist is saying that if God marked iniquity in such a way that it could never be blotted then who could stand? A number of years ago, I was going down to class to teach, and I reached into my desk and I pulled out a marker to write on the whiteboard with. But the problem was I pulled out one of these <laughs> instead of one of the other ones. And I'm waxing eloquent in class about this or that or the other thing and writing on it, and I pick up the brush to erase. It's not going to happen. Up and down, it's like, oh, the embarrassment, it was terrible. And that's what the psalmist is saying. Lord, if you were writing sin down with an indelible marker, that would be it. 
But there is forgiveness with you. There is the possibility that sin can be removed and erased. The suggestion here is that no matter how bad the situation, no matter how difficult and deep the failure, that there is forgiveness with God because forgiveness is close to the heart of God. But the psalmist goes on. Finding the way out of the darkness implies something else. It's very similar to what Paul says when he says, shall we sin that grace may abound? Someone might say, well, forgiveness is, yeah, it's just easy, quick, and cheap. And that that really doesn't matter too much. Psalmist says, no. There's forgiveness with you, but it's meant to lead to a purpose that you may be, and the word is literally feared. Now, the fear of God in the Old Testament is something that is really not well understood. What it means is a commitment to worship God alone and to walk in his ways. That's what the fear of God is. That's what fearing God is. God brings Israel out of Egypt, brings them to Sinai, gives them a covenant, gives them the law as a way of walking in his ways, as a way of fearing him, as a way of responding to him in grateful, thankful obedience. And I think if we seek to remove ourselves, to extricate ourselves from the darkness and from the depths, and receive forgiveness, and yet don't turn around and translate that out into walking in the ways of the Lord. We just go round in circles, and we really don't get anywhere. So the second way in which we transform the darkness into day, in finding hope in dark places, is remembering that when we receive forgiveness, that implies recommitment. Uh, that implies renewed desire to walk in the ways of the Lord. In the Old Testament, forgiveness is about relationship breakdown and relationship repair, relational repair. Forgiveness comes because God chooses to forgive. It's like someone who you had a relationship with who does some damage to that relationship, who hurts you, who betrays your trust, who speaks about you behind your back, but suddenly, but suddenly, but somehow, <clears throat> you manage to restore the relationship and you bring it back together. There's a cost to that. And the implication is that you won't damage the relationship anymore. And that's the idea here. There's forgiveness with you, but that is meant to imply an ongoing commitment to that relationship. And then finally, finding hope in dark places means waiting on God in the assurance that better days are ahead. Someone might say, well, I have turned back to the Lord, I have restored my relationship with God, but things are still bad. The circumstances that I brought upon myself through the stupid decisions that I made are still hurting me. Why hasn't God jumped in and changed everything around? This was probably the situation in which this prayer was spoken. 
Israel was probably still under the thumb of foreign rulers, imposing heavy taxes, making life very difficult, oppressing the nation in many ways. And that's why the psalmist says, the Lord will redeem Israel in the future. Forgiveness was available in the present, but full redemption would only come in the future. There are three different words that the psalmist uses here. Uh, two for, they all relate to the idea of waiting and hoping in confident expectation. The idea is that God is faithful and God is trustworthy and that even if you have to wait for a long time, God will come through in the end. It's kind of like Abraham and Sarah waiting for Isaac. It's the idea that God is committed to bringing a better day, but sometimes, just like the watchman who has to go through the whole night before the morning comes, sometimes you've got to go through the darkest hours before the dawn comes. And as the old saying goes, it's often darkest just before the dawn. The psalmist is saying that it may be a while before you see the full blessing and the restoration that God has for you, but you must not give up hope. You must wait confidently and expectantly for it. Hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love. This theme of waiting and hoping comes up again and again in Scripture. Isaiah 33, O Lord, be gracious to us. We wait for you. Be our arm every morning, our salvation in time of trouble. Isaiah 40, 31, that we sang before, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Micah 7, 7, but as for me, I will look to the Lord and I will wait. And that doesn't mean just kind of hanging around, oh, you know, Maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. It means steadfast assurance that God's promised deliverance will come. But someone might say, well, how do you know that you can wait with certainty? Is that not just pie in the sky, wishful thinking? The psalmist says, no, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits in his word, I hope. We're not sure exactly what that word might have been. Might have been a prophetic word delivered in the temple. Might have been with reference to a passage like Exodus 34, 6 and 7, which speaks to the gracious character of God. But we know that the psalmist has the assurance that better days will indeed come. When we read this passage from our perspective here today, in the New Testament as believers, we see that all of these same ideas are repeated in the New Testament. That God is a God of forgiveness, that forgiveness is close to the heart of God, that forgiveness implies commitment to a relationship, and that better days lie ahead. And that's what Paul says in Ephesians 1.7. In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. 
So today, as we consider our journey, I don't know what place or where exactly we are, each one of us perhaps in a different place, but many of us have gone through, are going through, or will go through difficult days when it seems like darkness overwhelms us. And I think these three things, especially when it's trouble of our own making, can guide us on and through the way out. That God is a God of grace. That the way out involves recommitment to our relationship with God. And that having done that, the, through the promise and the blessing of God, better days surely lie ahead. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this wonderful song. We thank you for the redemption that is ours for a wonderful redeeming God who promised to redeem Israel from all its iniquities and who promised that we have redemption in and through Christ. And we thank you for this wonderful gift and this wonderful blessing. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and evermore. Amen.